11 years ago this week, a group of pastors from our church were invited by a pastor team in Indiana to a backyard reception during a conference we were attending one of the pastor's homes. And I heard a story in that backyard from the senior pastor of that church, whom I respected deeply, who's since passed away. But he shared a story with me that has impacted my life for those 11 years and the lives of hundreds of other people, some of you in this room. He quoted Psalm 90, verse 10. We live for 70 years or so, and with luck, we might make it to 80. And he told me about this practice of putting marbles in a jar to signify each year you have remaining until your 70th birthday. And I came home from Indiana that week and I started my somewhat famous marble jar at that time. And so uh, I have this jar that's now sat on the bookshelf by my light switch in the church office for 11 years. I see it every time I come in and every time I go out. And there are 13 marbles left in this jar right now. On March 1st, I will again take out a marble. That's my birthday. I will take out a marble. I will put it in the desk drawer in my office. And hopefully, if I get to some bonus years, my intention is that on my 71st birthday, I will start putting a marble back in the jar on my birthday each year. This has become a spiritual practice for me. I carry it with me to funerals and tell the story. I've shared the story with you before. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have even started your own marble jars over the years. Uh, sometimes people tell me that they feel like that's a very morbid practice. <laughs> that that's, the jar is looking very empty these days, you know? They're like, that's really depressing, Brian. And uh, for me, it's not. For me, it's a reminder. It's a precious reminder I've just built into my life that when I see these marbles, I remember that every single one of those moments represented by a marble matters, and I don't want to miss them, and I don't want to miss living the life that God has me to live for each of those marbles. And it also reminds me that someday there won't be any more marbles. And so it helps me keep perspective on this beautiful gift that I have of life today. So in other words, I, I help manage the tension we all feel between today matters and also tomorrow matters. I'm headed somewhere on some kind of a trajectory. And that brings me to the good news that I get to declare for all of us today. <laughs> it goes so perfectly with the songs that uh, Kara picked for us. Brothers and sisters, because we have already died with Christ and been made alive in him forever, we are free from the frantic fear of death. We can live each moment in peace and purpose while still pursuing a meaningful destiny. We are set up to manage this tension between today and tomorrow because we are the people of God. As I mentioned earlier, Leslie last week uh, helped us remember that each of us has a unique contribution to make. That part of what we want to do as a church family is help you know and name your two-word calling. What is it that God dreams specifically about you when, as Kara mentioned a moment ago, he thought the world needed one of you? Leslie reminded us there are good works God prepared in advance for us to do. And this church wants to help you discover what those good works are so that you can get your life being about them today. Now, 
In addition to that, there's this bigger dream God has for your life that's playing out over the course of however many years you may have left until 70 or 80 or whatever it's going to look like. How do you manage the tension between a life of peace and purpose today and keeping your eye on a meaningful destiny for the rest of your days? We want to add value to that. And today I want to I want to use a passage of scripture that I bet a lot of you have heard. Jeremiah 29, 11. It's one of the most quoted verses of scripture from the Old Testament. In fact, uh, that's something else I have in my office. 20 years ago, when you asked me to be your pastor, you gave me this beautiful framed print of this particular verse that hangs in my office wall right above my chair. And you probably know the passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you have read or heard that before, ever? Many of us, right? Yeah. Are you also aware that almost everything we think we know about that verse is wrong? Or at least incomplete? Like, seriously, that verse wasn't written for you. It was written to God's people, like a whole group of people. It was written for a very particular purpose in a very particular context that was playing out. My buddy Will Mancini says that Jeremiah 29, that whole chapter, is actually a story of a true dream and a false dream that are locked in a duel for the imagination of God's people. And so what I thought I'd do today is I thought I would revisit that story and fill in a few of the blanks of what's actually happening with Jeremiah 29, 11, and I hope it'll help us deal with this tension of how do we live today like it matters, and yet Look down the road at whatever the rest of our days will be like they matter, all right? So to shrink a much bigger story down into a manageable bite for today, in Jeremiah 29, 11, there are about 10,000 Jewish hostages that are living as exiles. They're living as refugees in the land of an occupying enemy. And there are quite a few prophets of God, supposedly prophets of God, who are trying to tell them what God wants them to know during this particular situation. And most of those prophets are actually telling them, don't get comfortable, don't settle down, don't, unp don't unpack the boxes. God's going to take you home sooner rather than later. And only one prophet, Jeremiah, is actually saying something to the contrary. He's telling them, your lack of devotion to God and his ways has resulted in this enemy triumph over you, and it's not going to end anytime soon, people. It's probably the first good lesson we could get from these Jewish exiles. Don't tell yourself what you want to hear. Dream for the future? Yes. Don't fantasize. <laughs> fantasize. Fantasizing just leads you into bondage. It doesn't actually lead you into freedom. Dream, don't fantasize. And I want to zoom out from that passage, that little one verse we like to pluck out of Jeremiah 29, and read you a few more of the verses around it to help you see what this shocking letter to these refugees actually sounded like when they read it from Jeremiah. He said, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that was the occupying enemy, I will come to you. I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, yes. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you. So there's some good news there. God says, I promise I'm going to bring my people home. There's some bad news there. Most of you will be dead when it happens. 
because it's going to be 70 years from now. Most of you won't actually see me fulfill this promise. And then there's the obvious news, right? If this is ever going to happen, it's with God or not at all. God says, I'm the one who's going to do it. Now, even though that passage wasn't written to us, it is for us. And one thing as God's people we might take away from that is this reminder that even when you're going through a nightmare, God can even use that to advance his dream for your life. That even the difficult things, sometimes God uses those to prepare us to receive whatever the good thing is he's promised down the road. Remember, we like to say around here, whatever God's going to do through you, he also has to do in you. And sometimes he uses those difficult things in our lives to do that thing in us that he eventually wants to do through us. So dream where God's taking you. Yeah. Just don't dream where you're taking yourself. Dream, don't fantasize. Don't dream where you're taking yourself. Dream where God wants you to go. Something else I'll point out. Notice that God plan, God's plans for his people are to give them hope and a future. His plans weren't their hope. So he said, I have some short-term plans for you in the next 70 years, and I have a long-term dream. I'm going to bring you back home eventually. Both of those things were going on, this tension we're talking about this morning. In fact, just a little bit earlier, Jeremiah actually says to them, the Lord wants you to build houses and settle down. All these other voices were saying, don't unpack the boxes. Jeremiah says, the Lord's saying, build houses and settle down and plant gardens and eat what they produce and marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they can have sons and daughters. In other words, I have some plans for you. It's going to be a while. But my plans for you right now are go about your life. Here's what you're supposed to do now while you wait for that dream to come true later. Again, there's that tension. Every one of us in this room, if we're fully awake right now, we're living with that tension. We got plans for now. We got dreams for later. And if we're children of God, that means we obey God and we trust God for later. I do what God tells me today and I trust him for tomorrow. So dream your long-range future. Don't plan it. That's where we sometimes get into trouble. Um, your dream isn't what you're looking at while you're driving down the road. Those are plans. Your dream is why you're driving down the road. That's the destination that you're headed for. So that's something we might take away from Jeremiah 29. Let me give you one more. Don't miss this one. God's plans and dreams for his people weren't just for them. Did you notice that? And by the way, God's plans and dreams for his people are never just for us. God tells them in Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so we see this theme that plays out from the beginning of scripture to the end. God blesses his people to be a blessing. The end result is not just us, but it is something he wants to do through us. In fact, those exiles have no idea that someday he's going to raise up Jesus himself from their posterity. And he says that Jesus will be a light for the nations, salvation to the ends of the earth. So friends, if you're going to dream, dream. Just don't dream only for you. Dream for others as well. God's dream for your life blesses you. It benefits somebody else. And if whatever you think your dream is for your life doesn't help his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then go back to God and dream some more because we are God's people. Amen?
And God's dream plays out through his people. We are the unstoppable source of his love that changes our world. And that is the real story of Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, put down some roots today and don't give up on my promises for tomorrow because both today and tomorrow matter. And I want you to live fully in both of them. Friends, listen to me. This is good news for us today. People of God, because we've already died with Christ and we've been made alive in him forever, we are free from the frantic fear of death. We can live each moment in peace and purpose while still pursuing a meaningful destiny, both and. And that brings me to our eighth practice for becoming. How do we live with this tension as God's people? We live our lives by design, not by default. We're not just accidentally stumbling our way through life. We have a, de a design from God that we believe is a good roadmap for where we're headed, and we live with some kind of strategic simplicity. Peace and purpose in the moment, and we live with a meaningful destiny in the future. The tool we have for this is simply called a life plan snapshot. Would you agree with me that life is crazy? Yeah. It is chaotic, it is complex, it feels like with all the stuff that's supposed to simplify our lives, it's only gotten worse, amen? And here's what we're convinced of. If the people of God don't have some strategically simple way to see your life on one single piece of paper, one single piece of paper, then we will never get the breakthrough clarity that we need for our future. And so this is the single piece of paper that we are training everybody in at Meadow Heights who wants it. Some people are undergoing it right now, which I'll talk about in a moment. So the one I have on the screen, is it up there? Let's go ahead and put the blank one up there. So this is the life plan snapshot. Now that one's blank, and so it doesn't look very meaningful to you, but there are four components around the outside of a life call, a life score, a life core, some life steps, and then there's a picture in the middle of that frame that talks about where my life is headed at certain horizons. Now, I know that's all a little complex for you because I'm not training you in the tool this morning. I'm just helping you see that we have one, all right? What I did do uh, is bring my own little messy copy that I have uh, that I can give you a couple of highlights, and I can't go into all of it for you, but just to help you understand a little bit the power of me being able to see my life on one piece of paper. When I see this, this is changing my life. It's reminding me who I am, why God has me here, what he wants to do in my life. It's like I can see today and I have some roadmap for the future and it's changing my life. And we want this same kind of thing for every person at Meadow Heights who also wants it. Let me just tell you quickly, my life call, my two words are transforming tomorrow. That is why I believe God put me on the planet, that somehow he built me, brought me through certain difficult and beautiful moments in my life so that when I show up, I get to make things better for the future, that somehow I'm just wired to do that. And it brings me such great joy to be part of those kinds of environments, classrooms, church, community, family, friends. I want it to be better because I'm there. Transforming tomorrow is my life call. When I measure the impact of my life, my life score, I have four measurements I always keep my eye on. When it comes to Brian and his personal care, taking care of me, I'm a freedom fighter. There's a whole story behind why those two words mean what they do to me when I think about taking care of Brian. When I think about my relationships, the love in my life, I'm a passion pursuer. When I think about my work, my vocation, I'm a dream deployer. And when I think about recreation, play, 
I'm a moment maker. Those four measures are the ways I score whether my life is working well or not, because I think that's how God's called my life to look as I'm transforming tomorrow. I have this life core on the side, which are simply the values that deeply drive me. I've, I've identified four of them. First of all, I value unlikely people because I think everybody deserves somebody who believes in them. And I value improbable places because I think everywhere is somewhere that God's at work. And I value impossible dreams because I think every dream is a portal for potential change. And I value an unstoppable church because I think every community needs people who are propelled by God's love. Those bedrock values underscore my life. And then in the middle of the frame, I have some goals. I have some goals for this week. I have uh, four, four goals that I'm working on every week. I have one goal for the next 90 days. I have four goals for this next year. And I have one goal that is three to five to seven years. It's the thing I'm driving toward down the road that I believe God's shown me that is supposed to happen in my life. Now, I realize all of that sounds really complex, doesn't it? Like, how did you come up with all of that? I walked through this training environment called Unique, step by step by step by step. And yes, it was some effort and some work involved, there's no doubt. I learned a whole lot about myself and God and my story, and it was painful sometimes, and it was beautiful at other times. But it was a step-by-step -step process by which God is changing my life so that I can see who he made me to be and what kinds of dreams I think he's put in me. And I have some goals I can work on right now. Let me ask you, what if that could happen for you? What if that's not something that's just for Brian or for pastors? What if you could have a life plan snapshot and you looked at your life on one piece of paper and you could see the divine design that God has for you? That, my friends, is precisely the tool and training that we are making available to you at this church. One of my favorite times of the week right now is Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. I jump on a Zoom call with four other hikers, and I'm walking them step by step by step. Ten evenings this fall, we'll do ten more after the holidays. Next spring, every single one of them are going to have their own life plan snapshot, just like mine, filled out and ready to go, and I'm going to help them launch it for 90 days to make sure it's actually working in their lives. And I believe with all of my heart it's going to revolutionize their lives. It's already been amazing the past few weeks. Uh, Greg Amelung is leading a similar group of four people every Wednesday morning. Eight Heitzers are experiencing this tool and training right now so that they can practice becoming by living by design. Our goal is to help you live into this good news. Because we've already died with Christ and been made alive in him forever, we are free from the frantic fear of death. We can live each moment with peace and purpose while still pursuing a meaningful destiny. Now, here's what makes this such a kingdom-oriented thing because it's so upside down compared to how our culture operates. Our culture is actually obsessed with death. We're just scared to death of death. We're taught to despise death, avoid it at all, at all possible cost. We are fed a steady diet of made-up, well-lit, surgically manicured, photoshopped, forever young, high-energy faces on digital media all the time. Nobody ever dies of cancer on a reality show. But as the people of God, my friends, we do not have to indulge the frantic fear of death. 
Our culture lives like there's no urgency on the one hand, like I got the rest of my life to get it all together and figure out what really matters and get around to living by design. I'm just going to, you only live once, I'm going to live it all out there today. And then on the other hand, we live like there's no eternity, like there's no future. If I just enjoy it all today, I don't need to worry about whether I live a life of substance that ripples out beyond my life and possibly into eternity. Scripture says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. <laughs> Psalm 90, I read you that marble verse about maybe 70 years, maybe 80 if you're lucky. You know what the next verse says? Number, teach us to number our days carefully so we can develop wisdom in our hearts. In other words, help us remember, Lord, that every single marble matters and eventually we won't have any marbles left. <laughs> Somebody was restocking their marbles as they came in earlier today. Just take one. Can't restock all your marbles today. But this idea of keeping eternity in view and living each moment like it matters too, this is why I have a marble jar, and it's why it's not a morbid spiritual practice for me. And by the way, I've discovered over those 11 years, this is nothing new. Christian writers have been talking about this kind of thing for a long time. It's a spiritual discipline of meditating on your own death. I realize this is not what you thought you were going to hear when you got to church today. <laughs> William Law wrote that when climbing into bed each night, you ought to pretend you're climbing into your grave and your last prayer every day ought to commit your soul to God as if you will not awake in the morning. That makes my marble jar look tame. <laughs> right? Like, okay, that's taking it all up a whole other notch, right? But I'm going to ask you a serious question. What if tonight was the last night you crawled into bed? What if today was the last day of your life? Will you have spent your last day doing what God put you here to do? Will you have lived this day full of moments of peace and purpose? Will you have died still pursuing a meaningful destiny somewhere? Thomas Akempis wrote, How happy and prudent is he who tries now in life to be what he wants to be found in death. <laughs> and he also counseled, I do not doubt that you would correct yourself more earnestly if you think more of an early death than of a long life. <laughs> and this is why we asked you to pick up a marble on the way in today. If you did not get a marble on the way in, they're in the back of the room. Stop and get one on the way out, all right? Here's my challenge to us to help remember this truth today. And this is good news, even though it sounds pretty serious. There is such good news in this today. I want you to carry this marble in your pocket every day this week, and every time you see or feel it there, I want you to ask yourself, am I living right now with peace and purpose? Am I living this day as if it might be my last? Am I living by design or by default? Do that for one week. And if you're really motivated by this conversation and you haven't already started a marble jar, maybe you could stop and get some marbles somewhere, order them, and by next week, you could start your own marble jar and put one in the jar for every birthday you have left until 70. Or if you're already in the bonus years, put in your bonus marbles and just take great pleasure and gratitude in seeing all those bonus years that God has already added to your life. And maybe this spiritual practice will help you manage better the tension of living in today and driving towards tomorrow.
Whatever the plans are today and the dreams are for tomorrow, you'll be able to manage both of them. Um, I'll end with this. The reason I love talking about this to God's people is because we have a staggering advantage as the people of God. We are not afraid of death. That doesn't mean you're signing up for it today. I, I mean, I get that. But we do not live terrorized by death. We sang about it a few moments ago, that we're not children of death, we're children of life, amen? We don't have to run from it. We can actually lean into it and embrace it. For people who are not people of faith, I can understand where you might see death as an adversary. But for people who are in Christ, the Bible says we died with Christ already. We know that we will also live with him forever. Or as Mancini says, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead makes death our last enemy into our fierce friend. Because as much as we want to enjoy every moment we have left in this part of our life, we know the better part is yet to come. Amen? Both of those things matter. Death, knowing death is coming, gives this day urgency, but I also have eternity. I'm not just left with today. I, I don't, I'm not just in the you only live once camp simply because I'm going to live forever. I get both and because I am a child of God. And because my commitment is to live in his kingdom so that whatever I'm doing in this part of my life is going to be part of the rest of my life. It's going to matter forever. Amen? We are not afraid of death. We are the people of God. We don't live in denial about it. We're not frantically trying to squeeze everything we can get into this little moment before death gets here because we're going to live forever. That, my friends, is why I want to proclaim to you one more time before you leave, this is good news because we've already died with Christ. We've been made alive in him forever. We are free from the frantic fear of death. We can live each moment with peace and purpose while still pursuing a meaningful destiny. We can live like we're running out of time and like we have an eternity all at the same time. That is the gift for God's people today.